Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to the History Today podcast. In this episode, Mark Horton discusses the inspiration behind The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Firstly, a quick word about our January issue, which is out this week. It's the first issue of 2014, and also the first to feature a new design for the magazine. In the cover story, Giorgio Riello writes about Cotton's role in the evolution of global economies and international trade, while elsewhere we have articles on Venice in the First World War, the treatment of German prisoners of war, a reassessment of the work of Hugh Trevor Roper, and new monthly columns by Amanda Foreman and Susanna Lipscomb. The January issue is out this week and it's already available via our digital edition for iPad, Kindle Fire, and Android tablets. New readers can get a free trial subscription by downloading the app from the relevant app store and following the instructions. Now over to our editor, Paul Lay, to introduce this week's episode of the podcast. And the January edition of History Today contains a remarkable article by Mark Horton, Professor of Archaeology at Bristol University, who's written the article along with Lynn Forrest Hill. It refers to the inspiration for J.R.R. Tolkien's ring in The Hobbit, of course, of which a new film is uh, being released currently. And um, it involves an affair that happened in the late fourth century involving a Roman by the name of Silvianus. Could you tell us that story, please, Mark? Yes, well, it is a really rather bizarre set of coincidences, really. Um, a very famous archaeologist called Walter Wheeler, um, in his early career with his wife, were called in to excavate or re-excavate a temple in Gloucestershire. That's a place called Lydney, dedicated to a local Celtic deity called Noden. And this became a major place of pilgrimage in the 4th century. Uh, no dens were associated with healing cults and so forth. And so people would, would come to the temple um, to, as it were, be cured. But the other side of Celtic gods was that they could also withdraw life and healing powers at the same time. And um, this man, Sylvianus, while he was trying to get something healed at the temple, um, put his ring down, probably in the bathhouse, and it was stolen from him. Um, and he believed it was stolen by a, sort of, a local family of robbers called, um, who he named the Sanaticus. And we know about all this because he, he did a lead curse, which cursed Sanaticus for stealing his ring and invoking Nodens to deny him half 
um, deny him his health if, if, and if he was successful, um, he would give half the value of the ring to no, no den. Now, subsequently, the ring was actually found um, not in Gloucestershire, but actually in Hampshire, uh, Silchester, the well-known Roman town there. Um, and the ring was uh, re-inscribed with Sennacherib's name <laughs> um, on the ring um, and um, was converted to a Christian ring from what was probably a pagan ring. It has a sort of bust of Venus on it. Um, so these local band of robbers were Christians stealing rings from the pagans. So it gives some in insight into what Christianity and Roman religion was all about in the fourth century. Now, it is an extraordinary story, uh, and we're not absolutely certain whether the ring and the curse tie up. But why it's relevant to Tolkien is that Tolkien was introduced to these excavations by um, his friend Collingwood um, and visited the excavations and must have heard about this story at exactly the time that um, he was writing The Hobbit. And Collingwood, of course, was uh, was a fellow, along with Tolkien, of Pembroke College, wasn't he? That's right. Um, Tolkien was a, was a fellow of Pembroke College, Oxford, um, along with Tolkien. So you can imagine having dinners together and discussing this this, this extraordinary story. Um, um, but I mean, Collingwood had two sides to him. On the one hand, he was an archaeologist and a Roman archaeologist, um, and involved in um, transcribing and collecting Roman inscriptions. Um, but he was also a philosopher, that was actually what his day job was, um, and of course wrote his really important book a little short time afterwards called The Idea of History. Mm -hmm. So um, Collingwood and, and, uh, was probably the instigator of introducing Tolkien to Wheeler, and one can kind of imagine the two men sort of motoring over the Cotswolds um, to Lydney, um, and Tolkien was involved in the excavation by being asked by Wheeler to interpret the Celtic deities that were involved on the site, while Collingwood was transcribing the inscriptions. And so how much did this, uh, the discovery of this ring, the um, conversations that were held between Collingwood and Tolkien and their relationship with Wheeler, who of course was later to become the famous TV archaeologist, um, how much did this influence Tolkien's writing but also, how can we tell how it influenced uh, Tolkien's writing? <laughs> well, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, I mean there's, there's two levels of, of this. I think almost a philosophical level, um, but also a, a more practical level. A philosophical level. Um, what is it that the main thrust behind Collingwood's ideas of history um, was in many ways that objects and things could help tell stories, could help understand the past. And uh, he obviously saw that in a professional historical way. Um, but that same idea of objects and things telling stories um, must have been taken up by Tolkien. And you can imagine them discussing this at a philosophical level. Um, and Tolkien was a various drafts of, of, of The Hobbit had, had were developing during the 1920s. But what Tolkien wanted was a device in order to create the centrality of the story. And what made the ring 
the famous book it was, was that device, which was the ring, which of course was then reworked in the um, in the Ring trilogy um, subsequently, um, but is there in its as it were, embryonic form in the Hobbit? And so it was that it was that need to tell stories, which was the as it were I think the the central idea that he gained from his discussions with Collingwood and. In some ways, it's a very modern idea. We now all use materialities and so forth as a way of understanding the past, material culture and so forth, in a um, way um, that maybe previous generations didn't. So what those discussions in the 1920s were have very modern um, resonances today. And indeed, we have that. I mean, we've seen the success of Neil McGregor's uh, History of the World in 100 Objects, for instance. This is now uh, pretty much uh, straightforward traditional history now, but then it was really groundbreaking stuff. Absolutely. And, and I don't think, I mean, you know, even you know, 10 years ago, I think um, a lot of historians didn't like objects. They found them rather curious. They were sort of left to our historians or archaeologists to look at. You know, the documents were where it was all at. But I think now people understand that objects have a peculiar power of narrative of their own which goes back to the Hobbit and those conversations, motoring across the Cotswolds. Yeah, and can we look at the way in which the, the ring, this idea of a ring, this idea of an object, is treated differently in The Lord of the Rings uh, from The Hobbit? Well, I think that, I, mean, I think we need to go back a little bit, um, first of all. And so what, what Tolkien was trying to do in creating um, this, as it were, story, it was a, a story of England. It was a story for England. He was a um, professor of Anglo-Saxon. He wanted to create, as it were, a national story about England. Um, but he he was kind of stuck <laughs> to find that narrative um, because, you know, on the one hand, you had all those you know Germanic reworkings of Wagnerian ring cycle and so forth, um, which he he. He denied had any relationship to his his story of the ring at all. He wasn't had any inspiration for it at all. He wanted to find something that was English um, and something that had that, as it were, um, insular resonance. And um, the ring, I think, really was that key device. And his experience in in Lydney and the relationship in some ways between the Romans and the Saxons at Lydney um, was also important. And the way in which the Saxons who subsequently came and lived in that part of Gloucestershire <laughs> saw this early world of, of, of goblins and people living in little tunnels under the ground and so forth um, were really important in terms of how he created his story. So the, the landscape of the Forest of Dean um, was, was as important as the wider, as it were, just the ring itself. And his scholarship, his Anglo-Saxon scholarship, um, displays itself too in his concerns with etymology of names, That's with right. nodens in particular. Absolutely. And and I think he also saw some continuity. While he was working on this Celtic god, Noden, he did strongly see a continuity between some of the Celtic and Germanic gods. Um, and saw essentially one one notion of sort of an English British amalgam, um, again, which, which which later scholarship rather frowned at, but I think modern scholarship is now seeing um, in much more favourable light that the, the Germanic element of, of England 
or, um, or probably the Germanic element of pre-Anglo-Saxon England um, is now beginning to be recognised. So basically, his his intent, his mission is to create a national mythology. That's right. And do you think he was not influenced by Wagner in any way, or do you think that's disingenuous? I don't think he was at all. He hated him. Um, <laughs> I think was something to you know. You know but he, when I think asked. In later life about the relationship between his ring, you know, and uh, Wagner's ring. He said, "Well, actually, you know, they're just, you know, two rings. <laughs> they're not. They weren't related at all." And we have this new film of the Hobbit coming out. It's it's out at the moment. I mean, and we've had the enormously successful uh, trilogy of Lord of the Rings on film as well, which have been huge commercial successes. Peter Jackson's films. What explains? the enduring appeal of the books and the films? Well, I, mean, I just think it's an extraordinary combination of how, I said, the, fact that, the, the fact that they were rooted in sound scholarship. Um, and in many ways, Tolkien was, 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 was shrouded by fellow, fellow academics rather frowned on the whole business. Um, and thought that it was all really rather silly, and it um, lessened his own scholarly contributions. In fact, I think probably modern Anglo-Saxonists think he really didn't make a really major scholarly contribution. Um, and when he was appointed professor of Anglo-Saxon, there was a huge row at the time because Dorothy Whitelock um, should have had the job, or many people believe, you know, a sound scholar who'd done a serious edition of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Um, but he was a scholar, and combined that rich imagination with with that scholarship, and very very few authors before or since have been able to do that. And so the fantasy, I mean, and it is very much a fantasy, is underpinned by rigorous scholarship, which I suppose makes it all the more believable, despite it being a fantasy. Yes, absolutely. The, the, it it has that that air of believability about it, uh, which. Um, you know, is 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 what is enduring, and and I suppose what we've been able to uncover in our story um, is that actually it really was rooted in real archaeology. There's a real place, there's real things that, that that inspired it. Well, thank you, Mark. It is a fascinating story. You're absolutely right, and uh, it can be read the ring that inspired Tolkien in uh, the January edition of History Today. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.